First Peter chapter 5, and uh, I'll read from verse 1, and we'll go down to uh, verse, verse 9. Sorry. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself, yourselves to your elders Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced in your brotherhood in the world. So this is our passage today. And uh, our concern here is with, of course, the devil, Satan. Now what? I'm not preaching about Satan to give him any glory. Okay? He doesn't have any. Any glory that he has, okay, he, he has um, because of his pride and arrogance. And uh, quite honestly, he's the biggest loser in God's creation. Now, that's not to, that's not to be in uh, you know, boastful towards him. I mean, we must understand that Satan is an extremely powerful being and that we're warned against, about him constantly. And he is not somebody who can be faced off by just a human being's supposed power and abilities and authority. We stand against Satan only in the power of the Lord Jesus. Okay? That's how we stand against him. Otherwise, he will flatten us. Okay? So if you have any ideas, any delusions of grandeur that you can stand up against Satan on your own steam, forget it. You're already deceived by him. Satan is an extremely powerful foe. But we do need to educate ourselves or, or, or uh, rehearse at least something about what the Bible says about him because there's a lot of uh, false teaching about him and there's also a lot of misunderstanding about him. So I want to begin here by just saying that we need to be educated about who the devil is. First of all, the devil's real. The devil is real. He is not some made-up guy. 
He's not some guy in a red jumpsuit, you know, with a pitchfork in his hand and so on. He can take on any kinds of forms, including uh, forms like preachers of the gospel or uh, false apostles. Uh, He can be a friend or seeming friend. In fact, he's at his most dangerous when he's at his most alluring, when he seems to be most pleasant. Now, he can take on the other aspect too, his real aspect, which is that he is uh, a uh, deceiver, extremely evil, a hater of humanity and a hater of your soul and a hater of God. He is behind all of the wickedness in the societies of the world. It has been throughout history. It doesn't mean that you can blame Satan for everything. But as far as the the decisions of uh, many of the leaders of the world, as far as uh, the things that don't make sense in the world, the way that uh, people are not looked after and so on, Satan is behind much of this. Um, it is also true that Satan is behind, uh, in a, a more religious sense, uh, many of the more uh, wealthy and powerful people that are in the world. This is something that is not generally uh, spoken about or noticed, but I bring it to your attention because most of you actually may know something about this, even though you actually think you don't. But how many of you have heard about the Balenciaga scandal? Put your hands up if you've heard about the Balenciagas. If you haven't heard too much about it, it's because the media have not really said much about it, okay? Not that our media are controlled or anything, okay? Don't think that, no. But the Balenciaga scandal is uh, these uh, photographic ads that were put out where photographs of toddlers in bondage outfits, or they had TV, sorry, they had teddy bears with bondage outfits, okay? And... Um, they also had certain papers scattered around in the photographs which talked about, um, you know, child trafficking and things like that. I won't go into any detail, but those kinds of things, okay? Uh, now, Balenciaga is a huge company. These things they tried to kind of slough off as a mistake, these are not mistakes. These photograph, this, sorry, these photograph shoots, they are planned, they are scripted. The photographer just takes the photographs that the company wants, okay? It doesn't invent stuff and put them out there and the, and the company says, oh, what's that? That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in small businesses and it certainly doesn't happen in huge businesses. Now, what about what do we make of this? That this company allowed this. Well, the photographer is a well-known Luciferian, and a number of the people who are 
join to that company and have uh, um, contracts with that company are also known Luciferians. The word Balenciaga means do what thou wilt. That's what it means. If you don't believe me, Google it. You say, well, so what? Do what thou wilt is the mantra of a man called Alistair Crowley. Alistair Crowley was an extremely wicked Satanist, an Englishman, who has been extremely influential, especially in the entertainment business, the entertainment world. If you want to know what he looks like, have a look at the Beatles album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and he's uh, on the top row, the, the bold guy that's staring at you. Okay? When you fold that, uh, that up into a uh, kind of a pyramid, he's at the top. Okay? He's a very influential man. His idea was that you do, you live the way that you want to live. And, of course, the idea is, as it always is in these, um, these views, is that living the way that you want to live is sleeping with who you want to sleep with. And whatever gender, whatever age you want to sleep with, too. That's the general thing that's behind this, okay? So, these things are very present in our Society. They are hidden generally, but they are there. If you want to research it, you have to be careful. Okay, okay, because some of it gets pretty sordid. But I would recommend, if you want to see what kind of society we're living in, research the Pizzagate scandal, which, again, I know that you've not heard very much about because it hasn't been reported. In fact, it's been kind of... Put down, but if you want to research the Pizzagate scandal, you can't do it on YouTube. Okay? But you can do it on BitChute, or you can do it on Odyssey, or some of these other places. Just make an account, put in Pizzagate, and knock yourself out. You will see very credible people, including detectives and other people who have looked into this stuff who are looking to tell people this is what, this is the, these are the people that are running our country. And it's very disturbing, very disturbing. Where do they get this from? Well, they worship Lucifer. They worship Lucifer. And the general idea is of, of the idea of, of Satan, of Lucifer, is that you do whatever you want. You cast off these uh, chains that, you know, Christianity and so on has put on you. And you just do whatever you want to do. This has always been the way that the wealthy have lived, by the way. Again, if you want to look at some of this, have a look at the, there, there are photographs available of the Rothschilds. You've heard of them. The Rothschilds and their, their word, their, well, I won't get into that, but it, 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 that gets pretty sordid too. But they had a party in the 1970s and somebody snuck in there and took photographs and you wouldn't believe what 
these people dress up like and what they do. So we have, therefore, a lot of willing dupes who are doing Satan's business. Now, by the way, I must say this. They don't think that Satan is the big deceiver. They don't think that he's deceiving them. Of course they don't. They think that they sometimes don't even believe that he's real. They believe, though, in the idea of Satan. Do you see? The idea of someone rebelling against God. But many of them actually do believe that Satan is the angel of light, that he's the one to bring light upon the darkness of the world, and the darkness of the world is all of the prudery that Christianity has thrown upon it. This means, therefore, that when we are warned about the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 6, when we're warned about Satan in different parts of the Bible, we're being warned about somebody who's not just on the outskirts, who's not somebody who you don't, or who's the effects of whose work you don't meet every day. You meet about it all the time. You just don't recognize it as such. Christians need to be biblically informed and their minds need to be biblical in the way that they approach life, the way they see themselves, the way they see the world, because only then will they see it truly for what it really is. Only then will they start to understand why For example, a certain political party can vote unanimously not to protect newborn children after they are born. Who on earth would vote for something like that? Well, a whole political party did. And Satan loves it because he's all about death. He's all about Destruction, and he's all about dragging people into his own condemnation. Here, in this passage, Peter speaks about the devil. He says that he is our adversary. The word for adversary there is not... uh, The word Satan means adversary, but that's a, a different word is being used here. The word devil means accuser or slanderer. So the devil here is an adversary of you, your soul, the church, and he's also an accuser. He's a slanderer. Who does he slander you to? Well, he does it in several ways. He might slander you, at least put the thought of slander, put the thought that you're wicked or that there's something wrong with Christians in the minds of unbelievers. So that unbelievers turn on believers. And so, of course, there's more persecution of Christians in the world today than there ever has been. But he also slanders us to God. Now, not that God, God understands, but the thing is, Satan is always there, ready to point the finger if we go out of line. Now, God knows that we go out of line. His grace is more than sufficient for us. 
uh, we're not saved by our own merits anyway. We're saved by the grace of God. And if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be saved at all. But we know when we're sinning against God. We know when we're doing our own thing and we're not, uh, we're not obeying Scripture and we're not walking in the Spirit. We're well aware of that. And Satan takes the opportunity to point those things out to God. Just as he did with Job. In Job chapter 1 and 2. And you can look at that at another time. And so we need to be careful about Satan. He's also called the tempter. He tempts us. He tempts us into disobeying the word of God. He tempts us to do our own thing instead of God's thing. And his temptations are really easy, but they're tried and true. They work. They worked on Eve back in the Garden of Eden. They work on us today. The basic temptation is to think for yourself. Be a free thinker. Okay? Don't let God and the Word of God tell you what's right and what's true. You think for yourself. That sounds very very uh, enticing, doesn't it? Because after all, if you're grown up, you'll think for yourself, won't you? And of course, God wants you to think for yourself too, and he wants you to, to uh, uh, be mature. But he, whereas God wants you to be mature, understanding the world that he's made, and therefore living in it rightly, Satan wants you to discard the truth about you're a creature and that this is a creation and God is ruling over it. He wants you to throw that off and he wants you to think for yourself independently of the truth of all of that. Now, if you think for yourself while discarding the truth about the world, you'll make up another story about yourself and of the world, won't you? Does that make sense? It's rather like somebody points out a uh, kind of an uncomfortable truth about you. Have you ever had this done to you? Really don't like it when it's done to me, but it's, it needs to be done. Yes, sometimes it needs to be done to me. Sometimes we need to be told that we're not behaving rightly or we're not seeing things rightly. And somebody points that out to us. And if we're wise, we will receive that. If we're proud... We'll throw it off and we'll explain it away, won't we? Well, Satan wants you to explain away why you can't be good all the time. Why you find it so hard to do the right thing all the time. And you end up doing that which you know is wrong. Well, everybody else does it. You can't be good all the time. Well, generally, I've got a heart of gold, and you just explain it away, so you can just keep on doing it. The problem is, that's not God's appraisal. God's appraisal is, that's wicked, and it's going to be judged. 
It is not acceptable to live like that. And we, it is certainly not acceptable to excuse ourselves. But Satan wants us to excuse ourselves. Do you see for that? What about the world itself? It's not created by a benevolent creator. So those, the order that you see, the beauty that you see in the world, okay, that, that just came out of a, an accident. It didn't have to be that way, it just happened. All of the magnificent design that you see in the world, just an accident. So when they designed airplane wings, okay, by looking at birds' wings, okay, they understood they had to design the airplane wings or the airplane wouldn't fly. But the birds, nah. The feathers of the bird, nah. Your eyes, your ability to look at the world and go, wow. Any of you like going hiking? Any of you like to take holidays at a rubbish dump? A trash heap? No. Where would you go? Some place like the, the ocean, the mountains. Why would you do that? Do you, have you ever thought about why you do that? You do that because you've been created to appreciate beauty. I often say, you know, that if there's a a glorious sunset, human beings go, wow, cows go moo. Human beings look up, cows are still munching the grass. They couldn't care less. They haven't been created to appreciate beauty, but you have. Who did it? Who created you to do that? Who created this world for you? Oh, it's a big accident. Ridiculous. That's a lie from Satan. But that's what he does. It's very easy, you see. Once he gets us to think independently, we'll think up any old nonsense. As long as it's the wrong answer, he's okay with it. You say, well, what about all of the different religions? Yeah. All of them, apart from one, tell you that you can get to heaven or samadhi or whatever the, you know, the yeah, nirvana or whatever. You can get there by your own steam. You don't need somebody to die for you. You don't need somebody to take your place because you're not good enough. There's somebody to take on the judgment of God upon themselves so that you don't have to have it come down on you. You don't need that. You're good enough. Or at least you would be if you just follow these steps. Every other religion does that. So Satan doesn't care which one you choose. You can choose them all. All of them come down to, I can do something to save myself. And God says, you're wicked. You can't do anything to save yourself. You're a sinner. 
You're the one who's diseased. You can't cure yourself. This is Satan. He's a tempter. He's a slanderer. He's a persecutor of the people of God. Be sober, verse 8 says. Be sober, be vigilant. Okay, two things. What does it mean to be sober? We're often told this in Scripture. Paul talks us about being uh, sober in mind. Peter has already spoken about this. Is he talking about consuming too much alcohol? Getting buzzed? No. Although the idea of sobriety as opposed to drunkenness does help us to understand. You see, we're not in control if we're drunk or if we're high. Okay? We will do things in those circumstances that we wouldn't normally do. Our inhibitions go. And then later on we forget or we regret it. And we think, how could I have done something so stupid? How could I have driven, for example? If, I'd, if somebody had stepped out there, I would have killed them. A sober person thinks about the consequences of things. A sober person uh, thinks through and, and uh, analyzes the situation and makes a, a choice that is best. A sober person thinks about, yes, I might want to do this, but that's not the best thing. A sober person will not trust their feelings over their head. Nowadays we're told, aren't we, that we, uh, you know, we need to trust our feelings. We need to trust our heart. And it sounds so good, doesn't it? Satan. That's Satan. He's telling you, trust your own independent thinking. Do what you want to do. It's the same thing. Balenciaga, do what thou wilt. Be sober so that you don't get carried away when the world tells you this. Be vigilant. Be vigilant. Well, you're not going to be vigilant if you don't think Satan exists. And you're not going to be vigilant if you think that, uh, you know, he's not really someone to be concerned about, if you don't think about him. If you don't think he's really active in this world, you're not going to be very vigilant, are you? But you better be vigilant. You better be sober. Why? Because Peter characterizes the devil as like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Look at that in verse 8. A roaring lion. If you knew there were lions about in the place that you were walking through, you'd be sober and you'd be vigilant. You wouldn't be knocking it back, would you? You'd want to have all of your senses keenly aware Thinking straight 
so that if you heard a lion, you would know what to do. You wouldn't fall asleep. And you'd be vigilant. You'd be looking out for that lion. You'd be making sure what you were doing, where you were going. I'm not going to go down there because it could be around the corner. I'm not going to go down here because there could be, you know, that's that's a a place there that it could just jump out. Because the idea that Peter is trying to portray here is a lion that's looking to pounce at you. You're going along your own way, just, you know, leading your own life, and all of a sudden something happens to you. All of a sudden something comes into your life that completely upsets the apple cart. Be sober, be vigilant. Satan is looking to do that. Don't be the kind of Christian who does and says things at the workplace that Satan can point finger at and can say, well, that person says he's a Christian. Destroy your testimony. Maybe the testimony of other Christians that you're involved with. Don't be the kind of person that gives in to temptation because a person will call you a a hypocrite. Now, we all suffer from this hypocrisy somewhat, don't we? But we don't need to live lives of hypocrisy. Don't let Satan have that opportunity. In his commentary on uh, this passage, Wayne Grudem, a New Testament scholar, says this. A survey of the results of demonic influence in the New Testament will indicate certain characteristics which a sober and watchful Christian may suspect to be caused, at least in part, by the devil or demons. Bizarre or violently irrational evil behavior, especially in opposition to the gospel or to Christians. Have you seen that with unbelievers? They're okay with you until you bring up Christ. We've just had Christmas, but we're not allowed to say the word Christmas anymore. It's now holiday. Okay? You'll probably do that to Easter sooner or later. Increasing bondage to self-destructive behavior. Stubborn advocacy of false doctrine. The sudden and unexplained onslaughts of emotions such as fear, hatred, depression, anxiety, violent anger, etc., which are both contrary to God's will and inappropriate in one situation. And he reminds us about Paul's warning about the fiery darts of the evil one. So put on the armor of God so that those fiery darts bounce off rather than penetrate. Sometimes it's, you know, you're in a situation where you just sense there's evil present. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Have you ever been somewhere where you just sense there's evil? Don't go down there. Don't do that. Be sober. Be vigilant. 
There are such places as evil places. So Peter warns us about this adversary. Now he's not the most powerful being in the universe with the exception of God. That's what some people think. He is extremely powerful. He's called the God of this age. But in the book of Revelation, in chapter 20, an angel of God comes and grabs him and throws him in the bottomless pit, which means there's an angel that's more powerful than Satan. God doesn't get his hands dirty like that. In comparison with God, the creator, Satan is like a gnat. But in comparison to uh, to, uh, him, we're gnats. So we need to take Peter's advice. What is that advice? Verse 9. Resist him. Resist him. Well, how do you resist him? Steadfast in the faith. Not by figuring out your own way of dealing with him, but you resist him in the faith, in the word of God, in the Christian faith, in trust in Jesus. Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God. And that armor is not some kind of special spiritual stuff that we can, you know, just ask God for. It's stuff we have to do. Things like try and live righteously. Try and believe the word of God, the Bible. Prayer. Oh, I know that those things, they don't sound as glamorous as just, you know, having this special spiritual armor so Christians can just go walking around the world uh, and Satan will think, oh my goodness, better stay clear of that guy because, you know, he's just been to the spiritual armor store and he's got this armor. No. Satan will only avoid you if he sees Christ in you. If you let the Holy Spirit who is in you, if you're a Christian, have his way. You walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. That's what it's talking about here. Then you can resist him. And there is comfort here. There is consolation here because you can resist Satan. Okay? He's not telling you to do something you can't do. You can resist the devil. But you resist him in the might of Christ. You resist him by the word of God. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, when Apollyon comes upon the pilgrim, how? what's the sword that he uses to kill Apollyon the word of God it's the word of God he quotes the word of God to him when the tempter came to Jesus and tempted him what did Jesus do he quoted scripture to him that's what you use that's how you resist the devil But if you don't know the Bible or you don't care about the Bible, 
then he's not going to care about you because you offer no resistance to him at all. Resist the Bible, resist him, sorry, the devil, steadfast in the faith, knowing this, that the sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. The same sufferings are experienced by Christians everywhere. Now, this does add another thing to this. It means that the sufferings of many Christians are caused by the devil. Now, he uses human instruments to do it. But they're caused by the devil. Therefore, when you resist him in the Lord, it probably means, at least in this context, that you're suffering for Christ. And you have to resist Satan anyway. In other words, you have to trust that God, even in your sufferings, that God is watching over you. You will suffer in this world. And you will suffer for Christ if you're a witness for Christ. When you do that, what Satan wants you to do is to say, well, this is not worth it. Just pack it in. What's God doing? Doesn't he care? What God wants you to do in that circumstance is to trust in him. Yes, you may have to go through hard times. Yes, you may not be living the life that you want to live. That's the lie of the modern pulpit, isn't it? That God wants you to live the the life that you want to live. Uh Uh-uh. It's not about you. And it's not about what you want. It's about you being a servant of God and doing what he wants you to do and facing adversity in faith and glorifying him in that faith. And you know, at the end of your life, that's when you'll get the rewards. That's when you'll get the well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. In the meantime, God does give you good times, does he not? God does give you a sense of his blessing. He does answer prayer, not always when we want him to, but he does. He's faithful. God has given us his word to comfort us. God has given us Christian friends and fellowship to help us. He's blessed us. Satan hates it, and I'm glad he hates it. But we do have to be awake, folks. We do have to take the devil seriously. And the way that we do that is to believe what God says, both about him and about our ability to resist him in the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's him we give glory to when we do that. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that we wouldn't take the devil for granted and that we wouldn't be scared of him and we wouldn't, Lord, succumb to his many temptations which are all grounded in doing our own will instead of your will. Help us, Father, to 
Trust in your word. Trust in your promises. Even when it doesn't look as though uh, things are working out and doesn't look as though, uh, Lord, you're watching, we know that you've told us that you are. You're always with us. You never forsake us. You are our shepherd. So help us, dear Lord, to trust in that. Help us to give you glory in the world that glorifies the devil. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we don't have a closing hymn, so uh, I'm just going to quote uh, a passage from Jude as we close our service this, this morning. Thank you for coming, bearing the weather. And close with this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.